You're listening to the Sexual Wellness Sessions with Kate Moyle. Today we're discussing the often neglected subject of vaginismus. And for me, and as you'll hear from this episode, the lack of the conversation around these topics and conditions massively adds to the impact on the people who are dealing with them. It just so happens that our friends at Lilo, the sponsors of today's episode, have a really wide selection of luxury sex toys, both penetrative and non-penetrative, along with a special offer for all my listeners. Tune in and use the code KATELILO at lilo.to forward slash KATEXLILO to treat yourself to a powerful pleasure device of your choosing. Today on the Sexual Wellness Sessions, we are talking about something which I am incredibly passionate about and affects a lot of women and couples that I've done a lot of work with. And it is a condition that I had never heard of before I became a psychosexual therapist, before I started training in psychosexual therapy. And once I learned about it, that was pretty mind-blowing to me that there is a condition that impacts one in 500 women and that... I am a woman and could very easily be one of those 500 and I'd never heard about this and that condition is vaginismus. I think most people will will have guessed that from the title of today's episode anyway and it just really struck a chord with me that there are not enough of these conversations happening but someone that is is the incredible vaginismus network and I've got Kat Wilson who is the co-founder of it here today and Rosie who is a volunteer at the network who are both going to share with us both their personal experiences, but also from talking to hundreds of women about their experiences of having vaginismus. And what I would love to say about the network is nothing like this has ever existed before. And it is something that having had these conversations with so many women, everybody needed and everybody wanted. And that was kind of why you guys kicked it off, right, Kat? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was one of those women that had been diagnosed with vaginismus and just felt very alone, very confused about why me, why it was happening to me and why I sort of felt like the only person in the world that had um, that condition. Um, And yeah, just felt really strongly that things would be better for me if I could speak to someone that had vaginismus. Um, But I had absolutely no idea how to do that I didn't this was sort of I guess pre-Instagram Twitter was sort of about I guess but it was kind of quite early social media days so it wasn't that easy to find people um and I just felt yeah that things would be so much better if um, I was able to reach out and find someone that I could just have a conversation with who understood how it felt to have vaginismus um but I had no idea how to do that so Mm. yeah (laughs) I can tell you how I did that if you like now or yeah yeah go for it um yeah so well basically so I was um I mean I was diagnosed with vaginismus when I was 21 um but I didn't really do anything about it particularly until I was 30 um and when I turned 30 I started seeing a new psychosexual therapist um who was great and it was going really well and things felt like they were progressing but I still had that feeling of I just want to speak to someone else um so I started writing a blog um where I was kind of just 
detailing my experiences of treatment, of therapy. Um, but every blog post ended with me going, oh, if you're in Scotland, which is where I live, um, please get in touch and we can go for coffee. And um, I'd just love to meet someone. And um, yeah, I never, well, it took a while before anyone from Scotland got in touch. But I think within about a day of putting up my first blog post, I was getting emails and messages from people all over the world with vaginismus who were basically just saying, I feel exactly the same way as you. Your post is like reading my own thoughts um, and felt the same way in terms of wanting to meet and wanting to connect. And just from there, I just thought there's something that needs to be done here. Why is it so difficult and why are there so many people going through the same thing as me but we just don't physically don't know how to um connect with one another um so yeah so that went on I blogged for a while and then um I got an email from uh, someone called Lisa who really quickly we sort of I think realized that we both had really similar aims and I think by this point maybe quite a bit of rage that we you know that we were so um yeah disconnected from from other people and you know so um yeah we well to cut a very long story short we eventually um met one another and um formed a vaginismus network which kind of grew arms and legs and is now um oh, I don't I don't actually know how many members there are of, of the vaginismus do you know Rosie? There must be over 600 I think um and that's you know that's just people that have got in touch um by email or uh, have uh, expressed an interest in like being matched um with somebody else with vaginismus but obviously um on instagram there are far more people than that and it's incredible i mean from my from my perspective i was one of those people who um you know i came along um i don't know how many years into the network being a thing maybe two or three years and um yeah, I it was exactly what I needed to find. Um, you know, I joined Instagram, made this really um, private and like, um, you know, um, unidentifiable <laughs> Instagram page um, to try and sort of hide away. But I just was desperate to find um, someone who knew what it was that I was going through. And like you said at the beginning, that there's just I didn't know where to go. Um, and so I, I made made my Instagram page and found the network and it was just like the biggest sigh of relief I think I'd ever done in my whole life because it was like, oh my God, there are people and actually quite a lot of people who know how I feel and who know how this feels. And um, yeah, it was amazing. And I came to one of um, one of the network's events and then all of a sudden I was sat in a room with like 40 people all with vaginismus, all who knew. And it was just like the most um, amazing experience, to be honest, um, that night. Yeah. And and I feel like just from there, my love for like the network and everything just sort of grew. And um, and so did my um, my feelings about vaginismus, I suppose. But we'll, we'll get on to that, <laughs> I'm sure. It's amazing because the network started and... I remember it being small and within months the demand for it was huge and not just from women and people suffering 
with this condition, but also from professionals. Because Kat, yours was one of the first blogs that I ever knew about as a professional. And I think I had to really search for resources as a psychosexual therapist to say to my clients, you know, this is really helpful to read or find other you know, for me, I find a lot of value in non-professional perspectives on conditions like this, because as a therapist, you're working with how someone feels about it. And for me, blogs like yours were really, but I mean, it was the only one. And then there was a one really sterile um, vaginismus website with, as we've all kind of talked about before, really depressing, kind of terrifying photos on of people with their heads in their hands and completely depersonalized. And I think that's where a lot of this difficulty comes from. And then also it's such a hidden condition. It's invisible. You can't walk past a woman and know that she might have vaginismus in the way that you can't walk past a man and know that he might have erectile dysfunction. That's one of the biggest things about these sexual problems, sexual difficulties that we have. But I think for anyone listening, it's probably also good for us just to put the definition of vaginismus straight up and out there as well, which is that we kind of categorise vaginismus as the involuntary contraction of the muscles around the pelvic floor muscles, the muscles around the vagina, which with any attempted penetration for some people, some people might be able to use tampons or fingers, or um, but attempted penetration, because I think, again, the assumption is, oh, it's just about intercourse, it's just about sex. And actually what we all see is that women struggle with tampon use, with any partner touch, with any solo touch, with smear tests, with any kind of medical examination. So it's not specifically just to sex, but obviously that's where we see it becoming a problem for lots of people. Because in the way we're taught about sex, which is that it's all about intercourse, again, we're going to get onto this, it feels like that's where it's the biggest hurdle, that's the thing we can't get around. Whereas obviously there are different options for managing periods and things like that. And we, I, you guys might um, disagree with me, describe it as a psychosomatic condition so that basically we know that it is a lot to do with our, our psychology impacting how our body works. And largely vaginismus is a lot about anticipation and anxiety. But we also see women that have had a huge range of experiences. And there are also a separate category of um, conditions. So things like overactive pelvic floor which can show similar symptoms or similar treatment plans that can also link to this or women who have suffered some kind of pelvic trauma as well. But I think that it's important that we also know that that definition is there, but it might present in hundreds of different ways. And what you guys have both told me, and I know from talking to women, is however it presents, actually one of the biggest things that we see is how it makes women and partners but also um sufferers of vaginismus feel is those things are very similar like the emotional response the feelings are really similar yeah definitely and I think you know that was something again with the network when we first started it was that we wanted to like raise awareness for want of a better expression of the different ways that vaginismus is and the way the different ways that people experience it because you know when we were first looking well before we you know 
Lisa and I knew each other when we were just living with it alone. Um, and we were obviously, everyone Googles everything, don't they? Dr. Google. Um, but everything that we could find about vaginismus was really, really generic. And it was the same, maybe four symptoms. So if you go on the kind of NHS page for vaginismus, I think there's four symptoms on there, which are super generic. And um, obviously, yeah, a lot of people experience those four symptoms, but other people may not, or they may experience other things alongside it. And there was, I always, it blows my mind now that there is never any mention of the the kind of mental aspects of it or the anxiety or the feelings of shame or all, all the things that we know because, well, because we've experienced it, but also because we spoke to so many people, mm. you know, these things go hand in hand with vaginismus and um, there's there didn't seem to be any information on that. So I felt like I was like, yes, I have all these physical symptoms of pain and of difficulties with penetration tick 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 but you know but I also have these other feelings and um you know for me and for so many people with vaginismus um I avoidance was just like the biggest thing for me like I buried my head in the sand about having it and then when I was finally ready to kind of deal with it I would avoid dealing with it you know I would put off doing um the treatment and it would all it was like homework it would be like the night before I had a session with my therapist I was like oh god I better go and do that you know and I felt really bad about it because all the sort of narrative on a lot of the websites was that you know if you really want to get over vaginismus you can do it you can do it in six weeks you know there and the other thing I suppose that I learned the more I kind of looked into it and the more work we did with the network was actually all most of the information that was available online was um websites that were asking for money you know they were it was mm. places where you could buy products or buy treatment plans and, and you're going well of course they're going to say you can get over it in six weeks you know so I suppose the more we looked into it the more we just thought you know there's a real gap in terms of just honest information um free information and information that's actually written by or, or shared by people that have actually experienced it so um yeah, that's it's something that I think was like a really strong um thing for us from the, the beginning was that, you know, we were like, we need to just tell honest, accurate, different, varied stories about vaginismus because they are not all the same. Um mm. so yeah, so that's that was a important early goal for us. I love what you said there, which is also one of the things that people always say to me, and I'm really keen to push back on, is people that don't know that much about vaginismus always just say, oh, but that's um, a trauma response, isn't it? Or they say, is that because that person was sexually assaulted? And it's a really common narrative that something really bad must have happened for someone to have vaginismus. And of course, there are instances where that is the case. And we know that it's basically the, it's basically the body's protection response being overactive is how I always feel to describe it. You know, when I'm talking to people about it, we often describe it as, well, your body thinks that sex or penetration or tampons or whatever, let's just say penetration, is a threat in some way. And actually your body is doing its best job to protect it because that back bit of your brain doesn't understand it's actually something you want. It's just threat, deal with it, response. And it's almost too good. It's like the protection system is is too good, you know. Um, and, but I think that it's important that we also break down this idea that someone has to have had a 
big event in order to suffer with vaginismus. Because I've worked with lots of women who have had things like childhood urine infections or really challenging early experiences with their periods or shame around their periods or they had something like bacterial vaginosis and felt a lot of shame about it because there can be a strange smell that happens with that or they um, caught a sexually transmitted infection and that brought up a load of stuff emotionally or a complete lack of sex education, a complete lack of any knowledge of what was going on and going into a sexual experience quite frankly shit scared because all they'd heard was the playground banter and I think that these kind of stories are probably actually more common than something huge happened to me and this is the response I've had I know Rosie I can see that you were definitely um nodding away (laughs) yeah exactly yeah I, I I completely agree like and 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 it feels so confusing, like when you are that person who's gone onto the internet to try and find out, um, like you said right at the beginning, Kat, like why me? Like why why is this happening to me? Um, and, and when all you get is like, oh, this physical reason, this physical reason, this physical reason, I think straight away you undermine, certainly I undermined any kind of emotional or, um, you know, any kind of... Um, psychological uh factors that might be involved I just sort of think oh this is a completely physical thing so ignore all of that um you know then you try and um treat it in a completely physical way which doesn't always help and potentially just makes um the psychological reasons slightly worse or slightly more like um deep-rooted um yeah and 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 it's just finding I was I was really I really wanted to have a reason for so long. I was like, oh, I just need to know why this is me. Um, you know, like you said, because I, I haven't had this horrible traumatic experience. Um, so and if that's that's all I can find online. So, um, you know, what could it possibly be? And, and I think it can sometimes be all of the above, Kate, of all those things you just said. Certainly, I think for me, it's a lot of the above it's it it can be so deeply intertwined with like attitudes that you would have heard at school like you say playground talk like oh sex is really going to hurt you're going to bleed everywhere the first time or whatever it is And, and I think that's what can make it so difficult to treat or so difficult to unpack um because I think some of the reasons can go so uh so far so far deep um you know the kind of stuff you just learn and picked up from when you're a child about your role as a woman and maybe your role as um your role in sex as a woman how on earth do you unpack all of that you know from this is stuff that you might have picked up when you were 10 or younger you know so I think yeah like you say it's so important to to recognize that and I think had I been able to find something like that online in the beginning that sort of recognise that it's not just this physical thing, uh, maybe with a really traumatic physical um, cause, that that it can be so much more than all of that. Mm. And do you think that also there's something in the fact that those are the only accounts pre the network that were visible, that then that also impacted the treatment routes that you go down because you think, okay, well, that's the only option, so that's the only thing I can do. And I think I, I wanted to also 
say I, I see a similar thing across the board with sexual problems, really. It, I feel like it's starting to change, but that, as you were saying, Kat, avoidance, that sometimes people will come and see me and they're like, I've had this for four years, but I've never been able to do anything about it. And when something changes and, or they're like, I didn't even know psychosexual therapy was a thing until I Googled vaginismus and then it was kind of treatments for, or something like that. And I think it's, again, it's back to that shame we feel about the sexual parts of our bodies, which also do lots of other things, but we see such a slow or delayed uptake for sexual problems in comparison to other body part problems. And it's just really sad because when we see something like vaginismus, we know that it's a vicious cycle. We know that there is both physical and psychological elements going on. I've said to people before, I use the example, if you broke your leg, yes, it would be painful. You've got the pain of breaking your leg, the inconvenience, the you're in a wheelchair and then on crutches and you're in a cast and you have to keep going to the hospital appointments so there's also a financial cost of perhaps having to take time off work to get to appointments to have treatment then you might have to have physio but also there's the psychological impact which is you can't go and do everything you want you are hindered in some way you can't perhaps exercise and that's the thing that you used to do to deal with stress um your mates are all going on holiday and you now can't go and mentally you might feel in some way limited to live your life the way you want to now we kind of understand that and we can look at it logically and be like yeah of course it would really drive me mad I'd be really struggling if I was stuck at home with a broken leg but then when it comes to sex we try and categorize these problems into psychological physical and we just know that the two are constantly feeding into each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, oh, you go, Kat. <laughs> oh, no, well, I mean, I'm sure we've probably both got loads of things to say about <laughs> that because it's so true. And it's, you know, it's that kind of, for me, I think um, one of the other problems that, you know, when I first started to seek help for vaginismus was that the treatment was very, it seemed very physical only, you know, and... um there was like, so before I saw my therapist, I bought a a kit and was trying to kind of treat myself at home with a a kit and some books. Sorry, a kit of dilators, I should say. I'm aware not everyone listening will know what that is. Um, So the set of vaginal dilators um, and some workbooks. Um, And it was so clinical and so depressing actually doing it like I I hated doing it I hated filling in the questions and you know everything made me feel kind of bad about myself and um the the dilators were um really hard and unpleasant and painful and everything about it was horrible so there was no kind of motivator apart from the stories on the website of and here is some person who overcame it and now has pain-free sex always um, but I think the more I worked with it, the more I was like, I just don't think this is going to happen for me. And then you start blaming yourself because then you're going, oh, well, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the, whatever the statistic is, the, the 4% of people that won't be able to be treated or whatever it is. And I'm going, well, obviously that must be me then, you know, but then obviously down the line kind of learning about, and this shouldn't be, I mean, I can't even believe I'm saying this because it's so obvious, but learning about you know there's an obvious link between um penetration and pleasure 
Um, that shouldn't be rocket science, but you know, it, this it blew my mind actually. And it was when I first met um, Lisa, the co-founder of the network, who told me that she had a set of dilators that vibrated, and I was like, "Wait, what?" Um, and mm. I had never ever it made the connection that that might help. You know, that that might make penetration less painful if I was actually enjoying it or turned on. You know, and so I think. Yeah, go Rosie. <laughs> I, I literally, <laughs> I literally thought I was doing it wrong if I like had an orgasm, for example. Like I would, it it's so clinical. I remember having this. I don't know. Maybe you bought the same set as I did, but those like really super hard, super plastic dilators, and they came with a little DVD. Like they came with this little disc. Mm. <laughs> we all and, know the ones. And I just remember watching it, and it was just like the most clinical thing I've ever seen you know really like all very stark white kind of like atmosphere or whatever um and and you do think that that's well that's the only guidance I had that's all I had so so you know you're just trying to do what what you see on that video and the the I can't even explain the the the, the 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 moment where it clicked because I remember there was the first time I ever tried to use a dilator and be aroused at the same time so I think I had like a vibrator on the go at the same time and to say I can't even express how much easier putting that dilator in became and then I was like I felt stupid immediately because I was like of course <laughs> of course that makes it easier oh my god how did I not work that out you just don't but nobody's telling you that nobody's helping (laughs) nobody's telling me so I was just like I remember just having this and this is like I mean maybe embarrassingly this is probably years in to me having like gone through periods of like trying to dilate failing leaving it for a bit avoiding it for a while then going back and having another go and it being equally as rubbish and then you know sort of years of that before actually realizing oh my god yeah it's quite a lot easier if I'm having a good time Mm. it's mind-blowing I think what you're describing is not an uncommon experience for women that have this condition because you try something it doesn't work you're then dealing with the disappointment and the kind of emotional impact of that and then obviously the most natural avoidance to the most natural response to feeling shitter is to not want to try again because that's the same in any aspect of our lives and so then you kind of go away and ignore it for a while and then you might come back to it and I think that a lot of people will really relate to what you're both saying in terms of it's not this process of right I start the process and it goes really well and everything's going really linearly and perfect and you know, we go from one step to the next step to the next step, and then I'm done. Cool. Bye. And something we all talked about was this idea of cure. What does cured look like? Um, but I would also love, before we get to that bit, to ask you both about what you tried, both good and bad. And Kat, I know you said you've had psychosexual therapy, and Rosie, you haven't had psychosexual therapy. Um, but I would just love that to be a part of this conversation as well, so that people know when they're listening to this, what some of the options could be. If you don't mind me jumping in, Kat. Yeah, um, no. I think maybe an interesting place to start this part would be that, um, 
you know, off the back of the whole um, vaginismus being um, such a physical thing when you look online um, is probably a massive reason why I chose to have a Botox surgery, um, you know, which was like hugely expensive and not perfect for a lot of reasons, you know, in hindsight. But, you know, to, for me now, choosing the, the, the fact that I chose to have that surgery before I tried any kind of um, psychosexual therapy is um, really interesting to me now. You know, I don't think I'd make that choice now, you know, given just what I've learned in the years since I had that. You know, it. I didn't know that there were other options and it, it kind of felt like, um, it, it kind of sums up my mindset at the time, essentially, which was just like, this is a physical problem that we need to fix. I'm doing like inverted commas when I say fix, like, and we, you know, it felt like the most logical medical kind of solution that would just be easy. And then, you know, six weeks time, I'd be able to have pain-free penetrative sex for the rest of time. And, you know, it, it just hasn't been that, that has not been my experience. But one thing I so wish had, um, it was, I wish was offered with the Botox surgery is some psychosexual therapy because something that just hit me like a train when I, once I'd had it was like, oh, I'm not mentally ready for this. Like I, my, the Botox is now in those muscles. It has sort of done its job. Like I could then um, insert something into my vagina. Great. Surely that was what I should have been really happy about. But that wasn't the case. And so, yeah, I think, I think that really at least needs to be offered with, with some kind of psychosexual therapy. But I guess that was sort of the moment where I realised, oh my God, I, I really should have maybe done that bit first. But I didn't know, I didn't know it was available. I didn't know that I could have it. And when you have the Botox, it's into your pelvic floor. Yeah, so the Botox is, um, so I was put under anaesthetic, obviously, because I, I wouldn't have been able to do anything without being uh, not conscious. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's injected into the pelvic floor muscles. Um, and the idea is that, it then sort of um, like it would in your any muscles in your face or wherever you'd inject Botox, it kind of temporarily freezes or like freezes those muscles, um, which means that if you were then to try and insert something, they wouldn't contract like they usually would. Um, and then so you kind of use dilators for a number of weeks after you've had the surgery until you kind of retrain your brain to understand that oh okay penetration doesn't hurt me it is possible so that's sort of the idea behind it and I think it makes sense it made sense to me I was like oh that sounds that sounds legit like <laughs> but you have to do the retrain your brain bit on your own you have to do that bit on your own and, and I think if you're not if you're not ready to do that bit or or you don't have the tools to do that bit um which in hindsight, I just don't think I did. I don't think I was, um, I don't think I was able to do that on my own. I think if I'd had some guidance maybe through that um, part of it, that could have been really helpful um, and maybe changed something. But yeah, it certainly wasn't the sort of like one-stop shop. 
the the fast track to the pain-free penetration that, that I was sort of uh, sold it to be, I suppose. Yeah. And Kat, what about yeah. your experience? Um, so I've, yeah, so I've only had psychosexual therapy. Um, I had, uh, when, well, when I was 21, I saw my GP and just, I didn't, well, I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I was kind of going, oh, I've got something wrong with sex um, and was referred to a psychosexual therapist. And, and they were the, the, the first person that ever said the word vaginismus um, to me. So that was on the NHS, um, but that was, I was so young when I did that psychosexual therapy. I didn't really, don't think I really made the most of it. I wasn't really ready to to deal with it. And I was kind of not always showing up for appointments or if I was showing up for appointments, I wasn't really opening up or, or really being, I, I just wasn't ready for it, I don't think. So um, much further down the line, um, I, when I, started my blog um, and I started to see a new psychosexual therapist um, that was private so I was paying for that therapy um, and I saw that therapist for probably about two years kind of with little breaks here and there but, but I found psychosexual therapy really helpful and I think at first I was I really wanted it to to unlock the reason like I was quite obsessed with like why have I got it and you know and actually, like we were talking about earlier, you know, I am definitely one of those people that I just have it. Like I don't, there was things that we sort of uncovered that we said, well, it's, it's possibly to do with that or it's, it's feelings around um, like kind of shame. And I, I was brought up in quite a religious family and there was kind of a lot of stuff around sex that was kind of, you know, sort of looked at um, with probably quite a bit of shame sex outside of marriage and things like that was very frowned upon and um so maybe that but you know eventually it got to the point with my therapist where she was sort of saying well you know maybe we'll never know and and that's all right actually but you know don't fixate Mm. on that you need to sort of start thinking about you know the present and the future and um so yeah I did find it really helpful so I, I would see my therapist every fortnight or so I think and then I had my dilators that I would um, work on at home and um, yeah, I, I eventually um, stopped seeing my therapist just, it was a sort of, I'd say a fairly mutual decision that I'd kind of, I felt I'd got as much out of it as I as I wanted to really. I was able to have pain-free penetration sometimes, um, but to be honest, that was enough for, I didn't, I, I think I got to the point of, you know, um, being okay that it wasn't going to be pain-free every time and if it isn't pain-free then you know my partner and I we just don't do that you know we, we just do something else and I felt that I had a much more healthy kind of view of vaginismus and view of my own kind of well vagina to be honest I used to hate it and you know and now it's that kind of I was definitely on much better terms with it and um, but a lot of that a lot of that was from therapy but I also think a lot of that was from the network. Like I was so heavily involved in the network at that point um, in my life that I think those kind of daily conversations about vaginismus were so helpful in just normalising it to the point that I was kind of going, why am I going to therapy? Like, this is fine. You know, it's all right. But it does take, I mean, that's obviously, I, I'm probably talk about it a lot more than the average person with vaginismus. So I don't suppose that would be everyone's experience that eventually you'll just, feel good about it but I don't know I mean hopefully you know again that's something through the network that we hope that people do end up feeling is you know that the more they kind of talk about it or hear other people talk about it that 
they can just get to a point of acceptance of it you know and Mm. um yeah so I think it's a huge part of it though this idea of cured and you know my goal when I'm working with people I often talk about moving up a spectrum of from painful to uncomfortable to comfortable to pleasurable and how we don't know how long it will work to kind of work along that scale and we don't know what those experiences will look like but that's our aim and my aim is always to help people to if they want to get to a place where it's not just functional, but it becomes fun. But equally, there are some people who just would like to conceive. And actually, the goal could be being able to use a turkey-based set in order to try and get pregnant rather than trying to have um, intercourse in order to get pregnant. And people have become pregnant that way. Um, a colleague of mine, Dr. Karen Gurney, the sex doctor, did an amazing post on it, which I know the network loved as well. And not very many professionals offer out that kind of messaging where they say, you know, you don't have to have sex in order for this to happen. There are other ways that you can make this work for you. And I think that it's really valuable. And I always remember her sharing a story that someone had written under her post. You know, I read this post and it completely blew my mind and changed my life and now I'm pregnant. And you think, okay, great. Like that is a way around it, treating it as a, as a roadblock navigating or diverting around it and finding a solution but lots of women also get to the point where intercourse becomes a part of their sex lives but not the main part it might be something they occasionally have and I think something we have all discussed before is this idea of cured doesn't necessarily mean has pain-free penetrative sex every single time they have a sexual experience that doesn't have to be what cured has to look like and actually it could be allowing yourself to be sensual and sexual with a partner and that sometimes penetration happens but it's not the standard practice for that relationship yeah 100% I mean that was like I guess a big a big moment for me where I felt um you know, maybe pre my Botox surgery or, you know, towards the start of my um, vaginismus, oh, I'm going to use the word journey, but <laughs> at the beginning, um, you know, my goal was that it was like, okay, must be able to put a penis inside my vagina. And, and that is what sex is. And that is what it should be. And all of that. Yeah. I mean, I think I said this to you, Kate, before, like, I, if, if you'd have said to me like six years ago when I was diagnosed that in six years, you still won't be able to do that. I would have been devastated. Like I would have been like, this is the, one of the worst possible things you could have told me. And, and actually now having had so many conversations about what sex is and what sex means to me and what sex I enjoy having I'm I'm still in the same boat now, six years later, but oh my God, I do not feel the same. I feel like I can have and do have brilliant sex with people. And like, I don't feel, I don't actually feel hindered anymore. Like it doesn't feel like a hindrance. It just feels like, I don't, I don't know. I, like I always used to hate the idea that I would accept vaginismus like I, I hated the idea that I would ever be able to accept that this is what 
um, my body was like. But actually having some acceptance has just allowed me to sort of let go of it a little bit and not really care. And yeah, it still sort of feels a bit weird saying that maybe I don't care, but you know, that doesn't have to mean that I never want to have penetrative sex in the future. I would quite like to be able to do that, but it doesn't have anything to do with the great sex that I can have now. It's got nothing to do with that. Um, and, 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 you know, talking about what does it mean to be cured? Like changing my definition of what it meant to be cured has actually changed my whole, my whole journey with it because I don't, and I don't feel the pressure to have that uh, penetrative sex. And obviously a huge part of what vaginismus is, is it's pressure. So me putting that pressure on myself was probably only making it worse. Mm, absolutely. Um, you know, so it's it's been such a beneficial thing for me to change how I feel about being cured, change what cured means. Um, and like, I think that just leads to, for me, feeling more empowered and enjoying sex so much more. And um, yeah, it's just changes everything I think Mm. and ironically taking the pressure off and Kat you said something to me that I felt really resonated which was that you you said I feel bad for my historical self yeah and I guess I wonder is are you saying the same thing as Rosie yeah oh 100% yeah and I think you know that because of my blog it's really weird because I do have this record of how I used to feel and like when I look at it now, and I don't actually look at it very often. And there was I was actually thinking about taking it down quite recently, but then I decided to leave it up because I thought it is actually useful for people to see like how far someone can come in terms of the actual vaginismus, but also just mindset. Um, and you know, when I look at it now and I'm like the way that I talk about myself, the way I talk about vaginismus, the way I'm so embarrassed about it. You know, it's like Rosie was saying with her Instagram, you know, it was completely anonymous. Like I would go out of my way to um, make sure that nobody, there was no identifying features whatsoever about me or where I lived or, you know, what I did for a job or anything like that. Because I thought if anybody reads this and knows it's me, then that's, you know, the end of the world because this is the most embarrassing thing that could ever happen. Whereas now I'm like, well, for goodness sake, if someone had read it, it would be because they had vaginismus. Why would anybody be looking for that blog, you know, if they didn't? Anyway, Mm. but yeah, but I think there's, you know, there's a definite change in mindset. And I think that I feel so sad that I used to feel so bad about myself and so bad about my sex life and so bad about what, you know, I felt like what me and my husband did together wasn't really proper sex. And I felt really ashamed of that and I felt really guilty you know and bad for him even though he has always been really supportive and um okay about it you know I was still like oh I'm really denying him you know real sex and I mean if you look at the blog that there's things in it now that I'm just like I would just never say that now but you know I think that that is the thing and it's this is I suppose the biggest reason that we formed the network and why it's still exists and is um is popular is because that communication and contact with other people completely like it takes away maybe not all of the shame but so much of it um and I think you know for me now cured I'm like well I don't know like I think in the past I wanted to be having I didn't want to have vaginismus because having it was embarrassing and having it was shameful and I didn't want anyone to know about it whereas now I'm not embarrassed about having it anymore and I'm not 
Um, I don't care if people know that I have. You know, if anything, I probably overshare now and everybody knows that I've got it. And they're like, please stop talking about your vagina all the time. <laughs> um, you know, but it's that kind of thing where I'm like that. I, if if I have symptoms of vaginismus, I, I mean, I don't, it will never be as bad as it was, obviously, because, you know, so much has changed and um, I am able to do things that I was, wasn't able to do before and things are, the pain isn't so bad. And th- but, you know, I think there'll always be elements of it lingering around in my life I sort of have accepted that and and think oh, do you know what it's fine and I think so much of accepting that is is just the fact that I now have no shame talking about it or sharing um the fact that I have it with people um so yeah but I think that's that's such a process for people I think to get to that point and I think that you know as we were saying earlier on the narrative on so many websites is that cured means you're having a penis in your vagina and it doesn't hurt. And I think that, you know, that's the thing that we need to really change because actually not everybody wants a penis in their vagina for many reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody's partner has a penis, you know, so it's like, it's, exactly you know, you can, that and that, but again, it's, you know, all the kind of um, stuff that you see online about vaginismus or not so much now, but historically the stuff that you would see was all, um, heterosexual couples and mm. usually married usually wanting babies yeah. you know and there wasn't really anything else around just people wanting to just have a pleasurable experience or just get a tampon in so they could go swimming on their period you know there are some people that that's all they want out of you know treatment is just yeah. a tampon or a smear test or yeah so no I mean cured is different it's got to be different for everyone and I think that that's something that we probably it's a really important thing for us um, that we really want to get that message out that, you know, you you decide how it ends for you. It's not a, you know, a one-size-fits-all experience of, and that's you now completed vaginismus, off you go. You know, it's 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 whatever it means to an individual, isn't it? And, and that might change. You know, at the start of my treatment, all I wanted was pain-free penis in a vagina. Um, I didn't really care about anything. I didn't care if it how I felt about it or if I felt good about it or I didn't even particularly care if I enjoyed it I just wanted it to happen you know whereas now I'm like oh no I've got to like it it's got to be fun for me as well you know so anyway sorry I'm I'm now I'm on my little soapbox now (laughs) just (laughs) no but as we know pleasure (laughs) as we know pleasure is an enormous motivator yeah you know is an is a massive driver for change is I often talk to people I'm working with about combining dilators with pleasure because also your brain is like oh this feels good and that's going to be the perfect antidote to the anxiety and it's also about creating a positive and reinforcing and motivating relationship and we we talked about dilator sets but for anyone who might be listening who is starting exploring the topic of vaginismus rather than us just kind of assuming is dilators are essentially kind of tiny dildos and we go from one that's the smallest one is about the size of a little finger wouldn't you guys say yeah probably and then they move up in size and they come in different sets there are different types there are some that are hard the newer ones are flexible and made of silicon there are some with a little vibrating bullet that you can put in the bottom but really the whole point is it's about training the muscles to accommodate starting with something small and building up but for me the psychological part of it is a massive confidence 
thing. And repetition, confidence, comfort, and avoidance being the most natural strategy for for dealing with anxiety approach is actually the way that we can challenge it. And it all feeds into all of that. But it's combined with, as was a bit, Rosie, like you were saying, you wish you'd had the psychological awareness, the talking everything through, the exploration. And it isn't just here's a set of dilators and off you go. And I've had worked with a lot of people who've had that experience. And that doesn't help because you're left with the feeling of, I don't know what to do with these or how to do it. And that makes me feel worse. I feel more shame or more embarrassment or less normal or more different. And that's why you know, we, we've talked about how BAM diagnosis just isn't enough on its own. And another thing about diagnosis is we also have what we describe as situational. So someone might have situational vaginismus, which is when it's in a particular situation, that particular situation tends to be with a partner. So someone might be okay on their own and be able to masturbate or use dilators or use sex toys or achieve penetration or use tampons. But as soon as there is another person present, the symptoms happen. And I think it is important that we also say that vaginismus happens to people that are single. This isn't just a partnered relationship-based experience that people have. And one thing that is a huge anxiety for people is dating. You know, how do I explain this to a future partner or someone that is going to assume that we're going to go home and have sex? How do I bring it up? And I often have these conversations with people where I say, but the thing you shouldn't do is apologise for yourself because that's the natural instinct is um, I need to tell you something and you might this is the anxiety is you might think differently of me or not want this to go any further or not feel attracted to me or I'm sorry for having this and the thing that I say to people is you shouldn't be apologizing this is a part of you and also how you communicate it to a partner is going to reflect in some way the reaction you get back from PS if they react incredibly badly it's probably a good miss on your part because they're not the kind of person that you want to be dating but I think that there is there is a lot in that, that women with vaginismus or people with vaginismus might feel that they need to explain themselves in some way. 100%. I mean, this is like something that I've thought about a lot recently, having come out of a relationship last year. Um, like, one of my first thoughts when I came out of the relationship was like, oh no, that means I have to explain this again. Like, having not had to explain it to someone for quite a long time, that was one of my first thoughts. And then, you know, straight away, I was like, actually, no, Rose, like you can, it, or A, it's not something, you don't have to disclose it. You don't have to, uh, disclose isn't the right word. It feels like you have to sort of like come out with it, like drop the bomb, like, oh, when do I drop the bomb in that I'm, that I have vaginismus? Like, when's the right moment? What, you know, all of these kind of questions. And Actually, I had to remind myself that it's not something, it's not a bomb to be dropped. It's not, and like you say, if if it feels like that, then maybe this isn't the right person I'm communicating this with. If it feels like it has to be this big, um, you know, the clangor that might end the relationship or that might affect it in some really drastic way. I often say to people as well, imagine if your partner said to you, or the person you were dating said to you, 
do you know what? Sometimes I struggle with sex sometimes. And I just wanted to let you know before we get to that point, because I don't want you to think that it's about you, um, but it's just something that happens for me. How would you react? Well, exactly. I mean, you'd never, certainly I would never like... Run screaming from the room. <laughs> react in any kind of way. Exactly. And I think, I think, I think the point should be that if, if you and whoever you want to have sex with is there to just have a good time, if you're both on that page, then how could you possibly, how could it be that you saying, actually, I'm not going to have penetrative sex this time. I don't, I, I, I don't really want to do anything that involves penetration. How is that going to ruin the experience? To me, it's just like, okay, cool. Push that to one side and then just carry on having fun because... Let's do all the other stuff. We just want to have... <laughs> the stuff we can do. Exactly. We just want to have a pleasurable time. Um and I think if both people are in that place, then it can't possibly be a bomb that you have to drop. It can't possibly be, um, you know, a, a, a super negative thing. And and actually um, me sort of like feeling that way now has made it very easy to just have sex with who I want and not worry about how they're going to react or whether it, you know, I, I don't feel that I have to worry about that now which feels like a relief. But it's interesting that it's the first thing I thought of when I suddenly became single. You know, it was like, oh my God, how am I going to do that? I think it's a, it's an interesting assumption as well that we could share that with someone and they might not be able to handle it. Oh, maybe we're doing them a disservice in the first place, like not giving them a chance maybe. But, you know, I guess that's not to dismiss um, the kind of negative experiences that I know that people have had that I've spoken to. You know, it does... It does happen, but, you know, I think like you said, it's actually a great way of filtering out the bad eggs. And I don't want to spend a, a moment of time with anyone who's going to respond in that way. So they, that tells me everything I need to know about that person, mm. really. I just think it's, um, of course, there are negative experiences. And of course, you know, men disclosing that they might struggle with sex might have same experiences and this makes it sound like a very gender conversation but I think it's whether that's to men or women or women to female partners it's we can all come up against those people of course but I think it's important to say that people with vaginismus can have really successful relationships as you said Kat you've had a successful relationship you're married it's not I think again one of the images that used to be painted of vaginismus was that it was only kind of single lonely women that had this condition and I would say very few of the women that I've met that have this condition or the people that met that have this condition are that way they are successful fabulous attractive have hundreds of friends really good jobs and this is just one thing that is a part of them or isn't currently working for them at the moment or is challenging them and I think that all of these assumptions need to be just broken down, that there isn't just this image of what someone with vaginismus looks like or should be like or is like. Like, that's so true, though. And it was, I mean, it's funny because even people with vaginismus, I think, maybe carry some of those sort of stereotypes around with them a little bit. And I remember when we did our first event um, in in person, obviously it was pre-COVID, it was 2018, I think, um, in London, and after it I remember we were just like god everyone with vaginismus is so cool like everyone was you know <laughs> we were like maybe that's like a you know a side effect a or something yeah just like 
really cool people. And it was, you know, and it shouldn't have been a surprise because why wouldn't they be? But, you know, there was just this real sense of everyone that was there that night and everyone that I spoke to. I was having really, like, amazing, interesting conversations about vaginismus, but also just about other things, about their jobs or their relationships. You know, and you're kind of going, these are all, you know, really interesting, well-rounded, cool people um who yeah happened to have vaginismus and it's just it was oh it was just such a like two fingers to the the kind of media portrayal of of a person with vaginismus because you know that was as we talked about earlier like a lot of the pictures and photos and things that are on some of the um the older websites and things are you know like a, a woman curled up in a bed crying or a, a couple sitting back to back on a bed yeah, I was gonna because say that you one. know they just can't communicate anymore they can't even look at each other because of the vaginismus and you know and it's just like oh you know it's hmm. it, and I suppose for some people that maybe is the reality that you know there's serious breakdowns in communication and that, so you we can't kind of belittle that and, and say that no one's experiencing that but you know from my own personal experience and now having spoken to so many people who are in relationships or are dating or whatever it's more often than not vaginismus isn't really the biggest thing going on in people's relationships if people are having relationship issues then I mean I'm talking about I've got you know obviously millions of friends with vaginismus now which is a really amazing side thing of the the network um personally um, I've now got so many people to speak to about it and as I say that's not the only thing we ever talk about but when people that I know with vaginismus are having problems or or issues with relationships or with people that they're they're dating hardly ever is it because of the vaginismus you know it's Mm. it's just normal stuff normal relationship stuff and um I just yeah I think that that's something that is so important that we talk about that you know on, on things like this because I think that's for some people that is a real fear that it's you know this means that they can never have a relationship they can never they can never have a baby you know that kind of that's you know the other thing obviously that we touched on as well about you know that's another um I think misconception about vaginismus is that you know you will end up alone childless you know single because I do think that that's getting better though I think definitely when I was younger and first diagnosed that was 100% the what I was seeing and and reading and feeling but I really hope that this I, I really hope that's not what people think now and I think you know that's partly with things like the vaginismus network but also the amount of individual people that now have Instagram I mean obviously that was Rosie and She's now been absorbed into the network because we were like, we need, we, um, we want her. Um, but, you know, there's loads and of books like there. Fran Bush's book, My Broken Vagina, and exactly. her play, like Ad Libido. The sex yeah. education, the sex education character, Lily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. cried. I cried tears when I watched that scene because it was just like, oh, finally, <laughs> like, finally, uh, you know, an uh, uh, actual portrayal of vaginismus but also a portrayal that was like so um so understanding and lovely like exactly what you would hope to see from like uh an interaction where somebody finds out they have vaginismus or they're with a partner or whatever I just I loved it and it just it, it really like it got me emotional because it was actually like god so many people need to watch this like me included mm. 
years down the line of having vaginismus and knowing that that's what it is and you know having treatment and everything even me still watching that now was like it does something yeah. it really does and I think I love we all um are such huge hunt fans um Hazel Mead's illustrations we amazing. like Fran Bush's book is amazing and I think now there are all these different accounts starting to come out and I guess for me I wanted to close this conversation by asking you guys what advice you would offer to people or like whether it's people or whether it's your younger selves I don't know that's up to you but for me it would be go out and read all of those different accounts and listen to all of those different perspectives and different stories because you will realize there is such a strong thread of connection and feelings and responses but also there are so many differences and I think that that's a huge part of it for me. This is, you know, vaginismus is an umbrella term, but it looks so different for so many people. And although there might be these big connections, we shouldn't all assume we're all going to be the same because we're not the same in anything else in life. And that that's a huge part of this for me. Absolutely yeah. agree. Go on. Yeah, oh, oh, I was just, I think my, my advice to we cat way back at the beginning of it all would really just be like, just talk to people about it. Like, don't, yeah, don't have that shame. I mean, you can't say don't have that shame, but try try not to have that shame um, and talk to people because I think it was for me, it was the not talking about it ever to anyone that was the, the biggest, like, it was just, the, it was the worst thing really because it perpetuated that shame and it meant I just spent so much time in my own head thinking about it. And, um, you know, when I first started writing, the blog um I didn't talk to anyone about it apart from my husband and even that it was we talked about it a little bit but not really um properly um and my therapist that was it um and now I'm like oh my gosh just talk to people tell you don't need to talk as much as I do about it and tell every little last detail of it but tell people you have it tell people what it is you know be open because I've found that you know when I've opened up to people and, and told friends or um or people on the street about it um hairdressers <laughs> nail technicians anyone um so often though someone will say oh I know someone that that's happened to or I've experienced that myself you know and um that just blows my mind I'm like oh right and have you ever spoke to anyone about it and they're like no <laughs> you know and it's like yeah oh my god so you know yeah I think it's advice that I would have given myself. It's advice that I'd give anyone listening that even if they don't know, even if you think you've got vaginismus, just find someone to open up to. And whether that's contacting the vaginismus network and, and speaking to someone through the network or speak, just speaking to a friend or I don't know anyone, but just don't, don't sit on that and keep that to yourself because it's too, it's too much. It's too much to keep a, to keep to yourself. I think I would totally echo all of that like talking you know I've I've always been like quite a an honest like quite upfront person anyway and I would always uh talk to my friends or whatever but actually talking to people with vaginismus like was uh oh just just such a game changer and I just le learned so much from hearing other people's like uh other people's stories and like what worked for them what didn't what they enjoyed what they didn't enjoy um you know just and, and just and just normalizing it like Kat said I, I would talk to literally anybody about <laughs> my vagina now which maybe is a bad thing maybe is a good thing 
Um, but and just just making it feel normal and like I don't you know one of the massive things that sort of dominated my sort of early years was just not feeling normal at all just feeling really abnormal and um shifting that off has been such like a a weightlifter because I don't feel like I'm abnormal I'm a completely normal woman and that's like I truly believe that but I think one other piece of advice would maybe be to just like just try and have as much fun as you as you can like I I you know um I think like we talked about near the beginning like feeling sort of sorry for your younger self is like just just oh my god just have like the fun sex that you want to have and and forget about the penetration for a little while and you know just just make it as pleasurable as possible because I think that's something that maybe we could us people with vaginismus can do is maybe just focus so much on that that we don't enjoy everything else and I think that's like so important to just not forget about the pleasure and not lose sight of that and not let go of that. I'm just furiously nodding along with both of you being like yep yeah <laughs> love it all and please will you just tell everyone where they can find the network I know it's there's not many uh badge network platforms but something I'd say about the network is as well it has amazing resources and something we'll work to get on together was the dilating is doable series but you have blog posts from people who are struggling with vaginismus from experts different accounts the ability to connect people so I would love just to leave people with with the idea of what the vaginismus network might be able to offer them yeah um so I mean people can find the network on um www.thevaginismusnetwork.com um which is where um there's yeah the resources um in particular there's a a guide that was written by Sarah Berry uh, the psychosexual therapist um which is a guide for smear tests so that's quite handy if you are thinking if you have vaginismus obviously that can be a pretty major thing to go for a smear so Mm. that guide is really helpful for people going for smears it's also really helpful to give to um the person who's going to be taking your smear it's got um tips and and things on um, how to relax but also how to support someone with vaginismus Um, there's also the blog on the website which has um loads of posts written by um different people with vaginismus so lots of different experiences and um stories which they won't all resonate with you when you read them but maybe one of them will or a couple of them will um but that's kind of the point is that you know there's not a there's not a a one size fits all experience of vaginismus um we also have instagram i'm going to let rosie talk about that because i'm not cool enough to really know much about instagram (laughs) i'm not sure i'm cool enough either um yeah no obviously (laughs) we um yeah we're on instagram um as the vag network and um yeah we we have a great time we do some like uh we do some like live chats uh me and lisa talking about all different kinds of things uh, surrounding vaginismus. Um, we interact sort of loads with with all of our followers and um, have some like really just like insightful and interesting conversations. Um, I think it's also 100% worth saying that um, we have um, a sort of, I touched on it earlier, but we have like a matching kind of service where if you email us, um, we will... Um, find somebody who's maybe in a similar situation to you uh maybe a similar location if you wanted to have like a local kind of friend or even if you just wanted to chat with someone over the phone or anything we can make that happen and we can link you up 
with um, somebody else that you can talk to. And we also have a, a Discord server um, with, I think, over sort of 250 people in it now um, with all different kinds of like areas of that where we, we talk every single day in there. Um, and yeah, people just sort of sharing advice, just supporting each other. Um, um, so that's a really nice um, a nice thing as well. So yeah, it's all going on. <laughs> We also do a sort of, oh, sorry, just to say as well, I forgot to mention them, events. <laughs> um, but we do, where possible, um, have events. We used to do them in person. Um, obviously, with COVID, we had to move them onto Zoom. But actually, the Zoom events have been amazing. And I feel like even post-COVID will probably continue because um, they've meant that people from anywhere can join them. And, and at the events, we usually start by asking people to just pop into the chat box on Zoom um, where they've come from, um, or not where they've come from, where they are in the world, um, accessing the event. And I mean, it's people from everywhere, from all over the world. Everywhere. And it is amazing. And what's even more amazing is when two people realise that they're in the same country because it's, you know, yeah. and they're like, oh my God, well. Um, <laughs> and it's, but yeah, so they've been amazing. And those events are, they're usually a sort of mixture of, of speakers. Um, we usually have, some professionals so psychosexual therapists we've had gps we've had uh, pelvic floor therapists um and then we usually have um a few speakers who are people that are sharing their own um vaginismus stories so we've had people sharing stories about um, getting pregnant and having a baby um actually uh we've had people telling stories just about their their experiences of therapy of treatment of relationships of dating so loads of different things so um I think yeah the, I mean the best thing to do I think if anyone's listening and is interested is probably to um if you're on Instagram connect with the Vag Network on Instagram because any kind of information on events and stuff is usually shared there first but if you're not an Instagrammer like me um <laughs> there are other ways to get involved as well you can drop the Vag Network an email um and be kept in the loop that way Amazing. Well, you guys offered the solution that I think so many people needed. And for me as a professional, I think the network is such a valued resource and I'm constantly recommending it to people. And, you know, I think in terms of opening up the perspectives and smashing some of the taboos and the myths around this condition, you do the most phenomenal job. So thank you so much for coming on and everybody should go and check it out thank you so much for having us yeah thank you kate thank you so much i hope you enjoyed this episode of the sexual wellness sessions if you'd like to join us for more conversations you can click subscribe on either apple or spotify podcasts and if you have a moment please leave us a review